XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. In Jefferson County, Kentucky, lies a secluded piece of property marked by iron gates and a winding road leading into the trees. Behind its thick forests lies a clearing, opening up the green canopy to reveal a large hill. On top of that hill sits a five-story structure spanning 180,000 square feet in total. Inside of this structure are miles of hallways and corridors, hundreds upon hundreds of rooms. Remnants of its occupants lie everywhere. Ancient rusted medical equipment, broken bed frames, carvings on the walls made long before the derelict building became the target for vandalism and graffiti. And it is between these walls that over 50,000 people died between the years of 1911 to 1982. This is Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Considered by some, including myself, to be one of the most active haunted locations in North America. In March of 2022, the XV Planus field team and several friends traveled to Louisville, Kentucky for an overnight investigation of this century-old monument. Locked in for over eight hours, the team was given free reign to explore the sprawling halls and solemn rooms as they saw fit. Through the course of the evening, we experienced a variety of phenomena that run the gamut of all of the oddities that we as a team have collectively experienced up until that point, and, for some of us, introduced new elements that pushed our personal experiences into unknown territory. However, before we get to that story, there is another to be told. The story of the building itself, and those that inhabited it for so long. Join us tonight for the first few steps of the journey as we walk into history and up the hill. Welcome to XV Planet. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planus. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very happy to be here to dive further into the weird with you. We are very excited to be starting this series this evening, and, as it progresses, to share our own adventures through the walls and halls of Waverly Hills. In an effort to make our own investigation make a little more sense to you listeners, we're going to take a little time to set the scene and share some of the history before we start talking about the events of this past March 14th. Yes, I realize that we went on that investigation on Pi Day, 3.14. That was absolutely unintentional, yet somewhat fitting. We'll be diving into that here in just a moment, but first, a few tidbits of weird science for you. First and foremost, we are a mere 48 hours away from the first images of the James Webb Telescope being published. If you've been following us so far, you know that I get stupid excited for any news related to Webb due to its expectancy to deliver some of the most detailed images of our universe ever seen. 
There's not much else to say on this at the moment other than the images are to be released sometime on July 12th, this Tuesday. There's a link in the show notes for those interested, and if you're following us on social media, you can bet that we'll be talking a lot about it next week. Next up, the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Switzerland, known for providing the discovery of the Higgs-Boson particle, commonly referred to as the God particle, has resumed testing after three years of upgrades and maintenance. Scientists are hoping the highly advanced particle accelerator will offer insight into dark matter and other mysteries of the universe by creating reactions similar to a microscopic Big Bang within its 17-mile-long ring. Just within 20 hours of its activation, the tests identified three new exotic subatomic particles never seen before. It will be interesting to see what else they discover over the next few years. However, on a semi-joking note, I can't believe I actually have to say this, but no, CERN is not going to make Stranger Things a reality. And it did not open a dimensional portal when it fired up in late June. If it did you would know because I would have already bounced out of this madhouse of a reality that we are currently living in if that was the case. The last little nugget of news I wanted to share is an unfortunate one. Earlier this week, an unknown perpetrator planted an explosive device at the Georgia Guidestones, effectively destroying one of the four main tablets and rendering the remaining area unsafe and unstable. This unfortunately led to authorities completely destroying the remaining pieces out of safety concerns. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Guidestones, they were a series of granite tablets that stood in the fields just outside of Elberton, Georgia. For nearly 40 years, they have been the source of inspiration, fear, and curiosity for locals. Hand-carved words across the nearly 20-foot-tall slabs brought discomfort and debate to many. The impressive size of the structure was only part of its allure. Carved on each of the four outer slabs were ten precepts, a message to humanity repeated in English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Mandarin Chinese, Hebrew, Russian, and Arabic. Inscribed in the capstone was the phrase, Let these be guidestones to an age of reason, written in ancient Greek, Egyptian hieroglyphics, Sanskrit, and Babylonian cuneiform. Since the mysterious monument's installment on the spring equinox of 1980, the guidestones have long been the focus of conspiracy theory, ranging from Cold War paranoia to far-right Christians claiming the work to be satanic, which, as we all know, is utter nonsense. While I may agree there could be some dark origins to the guidestones, in particular their supposed creator, the impressive stone arrangement, often dubbed America's Stonehenge, was anything but satanic. We may be doing a deep dive into this in the near future, but I want to see if they capture the suspect first so we can get a wider view of what actually happened to them and why. If nothing else, I call this a tragic destruction of a work of art. News is that locals are already working together to rebuild them, and I, for one, hope that they do. For more fun side quests into weird sciences and monumental mysteries, be sure to check out the segment Meg's Mind Blowers in the show notes. And as always, a huge thanks to XV Planet's correspondent Megan for supplying some extra oddities this week and for assisting with our social media when my anxiety tells me to stop using it. Now, on to the subject at hand and into the shadows we go. As with most of the installments that center around our investigations, this series will be broken into chapters. Tonight, for Chapter 1, we are going to offer a brief glimpse into the history of Waverly Hills Sanatorium, a massive medical facility originally built to care for patients suffering from tuberculosis. In Chapter 2, we will discuss some of the phenomenon that occur there, in particular the ones that multiple people have described encounters with over the years. Parts 3 and 4 will be an examination of the team's experience there. And Part 5, well, 
that one's going to be a surprise, so you're just going to have to keep listening. And I've got Walker and Alejandro back in the studio today, so without further ado, let's get into it. All right, friends and fiends, I'm going to welcome back into the Black Lodge. We got Brother Walker and we got Brother Alejandro. Gentlemen, how you doing today? Oh, fantastic. Fan freaking tastic. Glad to be out here. Oh, uh, yeah. So, we know how this story is going to go. Uh, the, this first episode, we're going to kind of do the broad strokes of the history, and uh, rather than just hear me ramble on for an hour and 20 minutes solo, I had to get these two in here to keep me anchored down so I don't go off on any tangents, although it's still probably going to happen. Ramble on. <laughs> <laughs> so, as the series progresses, we are going to first do the broad strokes of the history. In episode two, we will be diving into uh, some of the folklore and the ghosts that are commonly reported. And then in episode three and four, we'll talk about our investigation of it. And there's going to be some tidbits towards the end, but we'll talk about those as the series progresses because it won't make any sense at the moment. So, First, we're going to acknowledge our sources today, which first and foremost would be the Waverly Hills Historical Society, therealwaverlyhills.com, various news articles, and ye old Wikipedia. But don't worry, we did cross-reference all of that junk with the other junk, and all the junk makes sense, at least for the most part. <laughs> Are you guys excited to be doing this? Yes. This was a fantastic, been a long time coming. fantastic Probably place gonna, to visit. Definitely going to open up a bit of... Um memories back because I, I i like how we do these a little bit later on and um we get to really like open up our brains back to march yeah yeah it's been a while before waverly hills was the massive behemoth of a structure that we got to experience it had a long history and i wanted to kind of go over how it was essentially born and then evolved into the behemoth that it is now. Before it was a sanatorium, it was a private property located in Jefferson County, Kentucky, and what is now known as Waverly Hill was purchased by Major Thomas H. Hayes in 1883 as the Hayes Family Home. Since the new home was far from any existing schools, Mr. Hayes decided to open a local school for his daughters to attend. He started a one-room schoolhouse on Pages Lane and hired Lizzie Lee Harris as the teacher. Due to Miss Harris's fondness for Sir Walter Scott's Waverly novels, she named the schoolhouse the Waverly School. Major Hayes liked the peaceful-sounding name, so he named his property Waverly Hill. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name when they bought the land and opened the sanatorium. It is not known exactly when the spelling changed to exclude the second E and became Waverly Hills. However, the spelling fluctuated between both spellings many times over the years. I wish there was a little bit more history on Hayes, though. So I tried looking into him because I want to figure out like what brought him out there because you know, the, the history goes a little bit further back than that. But I couldn't find much on him. Yeah, you would think, especially in a town like Louisville, they had um, a lot of money. Uh, it's definitely a like when we were walking around all the old houses. Like it's a it's a place that has tons of architecture, and you could tell that it was a thriving area yeah. to be in. You'd think there would be a little bit more record on them. Well, there probably is in the town records, but we all did not have a chance to dive into that. But hopefully we will next time we go back, because uh, we are definitely going back. Yes. Yeah. Can't wait. Nope. Was there any uh, documented activity from that period that would lead to thinking that maybe like the grounds add to some of the... No, no, not at all. Um, it's my understanding that there was never any reportings of any... Well... 
Okay, so <laughs> let me pump the brakes right there because I think the first instance of a paranormal uh, incident can actually be traced to. I might be I'll, I'll, I might be wrong about the year, but we will definitely get to this in more detail later down the year. I want to say it's 1961, uh, which was. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Oh yeah, that's a wild story, man. Yeah, there is there is some truly crazy stuff that happened in Waverly uh, as the building aged and was turned into multiple different things, which we'll talk about all those here in a minute. But yeah, nothing nothing dating back, at least before the sanatorium, I don't think. But now, speaking of the sanatorium, uh, in the early 1900s, Jefferson County was severely stricken with an outbreak of tuberculosis. For those of you unaware, tuberculosis, or TB, is an infectious disease usually caused by, and I am totally going to screw this up, <laughs> mycobacterium tuberculosis? No, that's perfect. Or is it mysobacterium? It's probably mysobacterium tuberculosis, so MTB bacteria. Please send your angry letters, scientists. <laughs> Uh, tuberculosis generally affects the lungs, but can also affect other parts of the body. Most infections show no symptoms, in which case it is known to be latent tuberculosis. And around 10% of latent infections progress to the active disease, which, if left untreated, kill about half of those that were affected. Now, typical symptoms of active TB are chronic cough with blood-containing mucus, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. It was historically referred to as consumption due to the weight loss associated with the disease. Infection of other organs can cause a wide range of symptoms. The first thing that comes to mind for me, at least, is uh, Doc Holliday from Tombstone. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Consumption. Yeah. Yep. I'm your huckleberry. (laughs) That's just my game. It was crazy how they made Val Kilmer so sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No, it was... He just looked drenched the whole yeah, time. He just looked like he was dying. I guarantee you there is somebody whose job it was there to just spritz, spritz. spritz. Yeah. yeah, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tuberculosis is spread from one person to the next through the air when people who have active TB in their lungs cough, spit, speak, or sneeze. No licking anybody either. <laughs> people with latent TB do not spread the disease. Active infection occurs more often in people with HIV and AIDS and in those who smoke. I guess I should stop smoking if we're going to go back to Waverly. (laughs) Diagnosis of active TB is based on chest x-rays as well as microscopic examination and culture of body fluids. Mm. Our precious bodily fluids. (laughs) Only only you diehard film nerds out there are going to get what that means. Neither of you picked up on that? No. I don't think so. Please tell me you both have seen Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, I have, but I couldn't quote it. No, I have not. Oh, God. I know. Oh, God. It's one of those. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah, you're doing yourself a great disservice. Anyway, (laughs) diagnosis of latent TB relies on the tuberculin skin test or blood test. We've all had those uh, growing up. I think it was like mandatory when we started school that you had to have the TB test or... Uh, there's a variety of things. You ever had it? Uh, Is that weird thing I where they poke remember. you with a needle and pump a little bubble of fluid right under the first layer of your skin? I don't remember if it's that weird. ever happened. Yeah, I've done it for sure. Yeah, it always made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Vaccines work, friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mostly eradicated in modern times. Speaking of which, <laughs> uh, TB was a powerful silent killer before vaccines were developed. Since modern medical practices were still in their infancy and we knew very little about TB at the time, medical staff would apply numerous methods of experimental treatment. 
some reasonable, some downright barbaric, of which we will speak of here shortly. I mean, even just wheeling them out in the snow, like there's pictures yeah. of uh, patients um, sitting because the way Waverly. I mean, we'll talk about the building design, but the big bat wing with you mm. know giant open windows, like. Mm-hmm. They would just wheel people out there, even when it was snowing, just to get that fresh, fresh air. air. That's yeah. all they thought they could do. Yeah, and and that's that played a big part in the way that the building was designed. And uh, I don't know, uh, you know, they knew so little about it. They were just they were throwing spaghetti at the wall just to see what sticks. You know, it's one of the reasons that that um, location was even chosen was to be on a high, exactly high hill, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. high the elevation, tons of fresh air constantly coming. There were many tuberculosis cases in Louisville at the time because of all the wetlands along the Ohio River, which were perfect for the tuberculosis bacteria. To try to contain the disease, a two-story wooden sanatorium was opened, which consisted of an administrative building, two open-air pavilions, each housing 20 patients for the treatment of early cases. In the early part of 1911, the city of Louisville began to make preparations to build a new Louisville City Hospital, and the hospital commissioners decided in their plans that there would be no provision made to the new city hospital for the admission of pulmonary tuberculosis, and the Board of Tuberculosis was given 25000 in modern money, $769,200, to erect a hospital for the care of advanced cases of TB. Congratulations, you're going to become the editor. <laughs> <laughs> On August 31st, 1912, all tuberculosis patients from the city hospital were relocated to temporary quarters in the tents on the grounds of Waverly Hills pending the completion of a hospital for advanced cases. In December of 1912, a hospital for advanced cases opened for the treatment of another 40 patients. In 1914, a children's pavilion was added and another 50 beds, making the known capacity around 130 patients. The children's pavilion was not only for sick children, but also for the children of tuberculosis patients who could not be cared for properly otherwise. It was reported that the goal was to add a new building each year to continually grow, so there may have been even more beds available than specifically listed. Due to the constant need for repairs on the wooden structures, need for a more durable structure as well as the need for more beds so that people could not be turned away due to lack of space, construction of a five-story building that could hold more than 400 patients began in March 1924. The new building opened on October 17, 1926, and that structure is still what remains on that hill. This is the behemoth that I keep talking about. A massive, sprawling structure. The new building was designed to allow plenty of fresh air to flow through its exposed hallways, often called sun corridors. Here, patients with less severe cases were allowed to rest in the warm sun and take advantage of the breeze. It was common knowledge that if a patient was relocated to the opposite side of the building, though, where the airflow is not so common you were pretty much given very limited time to leave because they knew that you were on the way out. Yeah, you say the opposite side of the building, but they literally would just put them like in the room behind it. Well, no, it was all the way. So they, they would take them to those back mm-hmm. rooms. So they, Oh, they, they wouldn't. Because I, I, I always understood that it was like the rooms that were in the front, like on that side of the bat wing, that whole wing was for people that were doing better. And then the one behind it, like the opposite side of the hallway. Across the hallway. Yes, yeah. that's, yeah. yeah. That was the other. Although, uh, you know, that's up to speculation. We might have to do some more research. It could have even been... um, Different floors. Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. But that's what you were talking about, like that the massive open-air structure where you you can see pictures of patients just being wheeled out in the snow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's an interesting concept, and uh, I I guess that that was kind of like tried and true of any and all sanatoriums for the the time. Sanatoriums? Sanitariums? Sanatoriums. (sighs) 
And the controversial history of the death shoot. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that <laughs> here in a little bit, though. Um, that stuff, that's, that's a whole story in itself, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it had this, this massive open-air hallway, and that's where most patients would just sit out and get some sun, get fresh air, because that seemed to be, honestly, the best medicine. Um, there's not much that we knew about the disease at the time, so our understanding of it was pretty limited, although that did lead to some pretty twisted experimentation um, during the course of its of its running time. It was pretty harsh. Especially at a place like Waverly Hills, because I'm pretty sure that um, it was one of the most cutting-edge tuberculosis um, right. hospitals yeah, yeah. in the... In the United States, at least on the east, at least on the east coast. But even being like cutting edge uh, for that time was still barbaric by mm. today's oh, standards. I, yeah, they were just the first people to like cut open your chest to expose UV to your lungs directly. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Sounds real healthy. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about some of those other methods of healing that they did. Some of the more barbaric things that we found out about, and this was common in in many other hospitals at the time. There was talk of cutting someone's chest and rib cage open and exposing the, the lungs to direct uh, sunlights or UV lights uh, because it kills bacteria. And so that was the idea. But the trauma done to the patients it didn't really yeah. do much good because yeah, they dude. struggling to heal from multiple things at one time, you're probably going to fail. Yeah, I think we had just figured out that you needed to like sanitize medical equipment <laughs> like we're only like 60 years past the civil war where they would just cut limbs off you know because mm. it was easier nurse do me a favor and spit shine that scalpel for me <laughs> yeah I, I think the first antiseptic ever used was bourbon yeah yeah alcohol, <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. yeah so uh, another one of the ones that they did was and and this this one for some reason just it makes my rib cage hurt purposefully collapsing one lung in the hopes that the other one will be able to heal more. It's like with the, you know, what they do, if you're a kid with a lazy eye and all that, they give you like the, the eye patch for the one eye to make the other one stronger. Mm. That doesn't sound like that would be good for lungs though. I don't think that that's going to have the same kind of uh, strengthening effect. I feel like you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> Let's strengthen this one by taking away half of its power. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yikes. Oh man. But I, I mean, beyond that, really the, the best method was uh, fresh air, sunlight, and um, they did their best to make the patients comfortable. I mean, that's really all they could do. Now, after the introduction of streptomycin in 1943, the number of tuberculosis cases gradually lowered until there was no longer a need for such a large hospital. The remaining patients were sent to Hazelwood Sanatorium in Louisville. Waverly Hills closed in June of 1961. By the time its doors closed, over 50,000 people had died behind those walls. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, sure, pretty sure they averaged about a death a day. Uh if you like break it all down. Yeah. Probably more than that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy to think, but wait, the death doesn't stop there folks. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, here's where it takes an even darker turn. Uh, the building was reopened in 1962 as Woodhaven geriatric center. 
a nursing home primarily treating aging patients with various stages of dementia and mobility limits, as well as the severely mentally handicapped. It also became a dumping ground for undesirable children. That's when we had to send them to hospitals and not farm camps. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) God. Because we are modernizing as a society. Mm. However, it failed greatly because it was severely understaffed and overcrowded. Woodhaven had reports of patient neglect and abuse from staff and other patients and was closed by the state of Kentucky in 1982. We're going to be talking more about that dark time on the Hill a little later in this series because it actually ties in some of the phenomenon we experienced while we were there. I know that's a little bit ominous, but just bear with me. I'm not coming out guns blasting on this first episode. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. It's a slow boil, my friends. We're just here to tell you a little bit about the history today. And again, this is just the broad strokes. Um, We're going to offer you plenty of other material if you want to do a deeper dive into this. We could spend like 15 episodes just going through all the, like everything that happened there. Right. But this is not a history podcast, so we're not going to do that. (laughs) Um, There are much better podcasts who uh, who have taken care of the history side of things. We're... This is strictly the broad strokes so you can get an idea of what we were walking into, and that's what this whole series is really about. Now, after Woodhaven shut down, Simpsonville developer J. Clifford Todd bought the hospital in 1983 for about $3 million. He and architect Milton Thompson wanted to convert it into a minimum security prison for the state, but the developers dropped the plan after neighbors protested. Todd and Thompson then proposed converting the hospital into apartments, but they counted on Jefferson Fiscal Court to buy around 140 acres from them for $400,000, giving them the money to start the project. That did not happen. Probably good for them. And also great for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to go explore this wonderful place. Although, could you imagine? That would be like the most haunted apartment complex. We would just need to go stay there for like a yeah, month. We just really I would, I would live there. Are you no, kidding? <laughs> I would move in. Have a, a spirit roommate. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think I already have one. <laughs> Maybe two. I don't know. There's been some weird stuff going on around here. It's like collecting tchotchkes. Do what? Oh, I said they need to help out with the rent then. <laughs> Please. Or at least throw money into the podcast since you're part of it too, you know? At least they're doing laundry. <laughs> no, they only did the one shirt. Wow. That never happened again. It still cracks me up. Folks, if you need a reference for that, uh, you need to go back and listen to our series on the Sally House where I explain where a ghost washed my t-shirt or their propaganda t-shirt, I should say. <laughs> anyway, this leads us to the Jesus statue. The Christians have to come up at some point. Oh, of course. <laughs> so in March of 1996, uh, Robert Alberhasky, terrible oh, name, yeah. bought Waverly Hills and the surrounding area. Alberhasky's Christ the Redeemer Foundation made plans to construct the world's tallest statue of Jebus on the site, along with an arts and worship center. The statue, which was inspired by the famed Christ the Redeemer statue on Corcovado Mountain in Rio de Janeiro, would have been designed by local sculptor Ed Hamilton and architect Jasper Ward. The first phase of this development coming around in the cost of $4 million, would have been the statue 150 feet tall, 150 feet wide, situated on the roof of the sanatorium. The second phase would convert the old sanatorium into a chapel, theater, and a gift shop at a cost of $8 million or more. Of course they have a gift shop. Of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can get like the little plastic statues and the, <laughs> of uh, Jesus T-posing. Uh, can you imagine having like a Christmas ornament of Waverly Hills Sanatorium with a giant statue of Jesus on top? <laughs> Snow globe. 
Uh, all right, seriously, imagining this in my head disturbs me greatly. It 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 really really does. Ugh. the only way that the only way I could get behind it is if they went with Dogma's Buddy Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the uh, the plan to construct this religious monstrosity icon <laughs> fell through because donations to the project fell well short of expectations. Thank you. In a period of a year, only $3,000 was raised towards the project despite efforts to pool money from across the nation. The project was canceled in December of 1997. Man. That's really not that long ago. No, 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 no. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, but it also has been long ago because, you know, 25 years, I'm old. <laughs> I was two. Yeah, I was God. shut down in 97. I'd have been three. No. It was 15. No. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> having a better time. Yeah. I was. I was. I was lucky enough to still be alive for the tail end of the grunge era and when industrial music still mattered. Nice. All right. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you like industrial music, be sure to look up my side project, Folds and Floods, anywhere you stream your music. Shameless plug. Yes, nice. absolutely. Anytime. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. 7.30 show is completely different from the 9.30 show. <laughs> After Albert Haskey's efforts failed, the Waverly Hills was sold to Tina and Charlie Mattingly in 2001. The Mattingly's held tours of Waverly Hills and hosted a haunted house attraction each Halloween, with proceeds going towards restoration of the property. Yeah, and we actually saw the uh, different decorations and stuff from that, the, the murals and like the... Uh Fake blood smears all over the place. Oh yeah, yeah. they they yeah. brought the gargoyles like on the yeah. lower, um, like on the actual mm. like ground, ground. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was pretty cool. It was only a really, really small portion of the hospital, like one stretch of uh, the Not first really. floor. But it was, it was. I'm I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Honestly, yeah. like after you go there and experience it for an investigation, it seems kind of hokey. But I'm sure it was fun for the kids. Yeah. yeah. And who knows, maybe people experience stuff on Halloween. I mean, if they're there for the evening. I mean, at least someone yeah. bought the building and tried to do something cool. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Definitely. Now, speaking of it's like, cool let's make it a prison. And this, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Build Jesus on the roof. Right. Yeah. That's just great. Prison and Jesus. America. So this is where the opportunity for private paranormal investigations of the property came from. This is what uh, allowed us uh, and hundreds probably thousands of other investigators to explore it over the last couple of decades now we will not speak too much about the owners and we will not speak too much about the waverly hills historical society right now as there seems to be a little bit of a battle going on between the mattingleys and the historical society and to be honest it's all quite confusing and there's limited information about the legal kerfuffles happening so i will not speak to what i do not fully understand However, luckily, it has had no effect on the opportunity for tourism, investigation, special events, and the restoration is still ongoing. Which is uh, pretty cool. Like, it's uh, apparently every time... So Jill, uh, as everybody at the show knows, she came with us, and she mentioned as soon as she got in there how much things had changed since the last time she had been. So they really are, like constantly doing renovations to the place which is great because it only leads mm -hmm. for better investigations for us like i'm oh. sure it would it would have been a lot harder if some of the things hadn't been put in place yeah yeah exactly so now that we've gone over the broad strokes of this property's history let's uh wrap this up a little bit by talking a little bit about the layout of this monstrosity 
at five stories tall and around 180,000 square feet. And admittedly, it, it's really easy to get lost in. I would know because I did get lost once or twice. So we're going to ramble here a bit and talk about the structure itself, if for no other reason than for you, dear listeners, to get an idea of what we were wandering through before we share our own investigation of it with you. Now, where do you, uh, where do you guys want to start as far as the structure of this place goes? Uh, through the gates, honestly, the, the like nice foreboding gates that we went through, we were waiting at for a while. They're very uh, creepy. It's like yeah. the, the classic winged archway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very Burton-esque. <laughs> it was so cool to like walk around the whole structure from the outside because mm-hmm. we got yeah. there like right before uh, the sun went down. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we were able to like fully get the scope of the building. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. We had just enough daylight to uh, to get our bearings uh, on, on the size of it and how it flows uh, before we locked and loaded and got into it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the coolest buildings I've ever been into besides the ghost, just like architecture wise, yeah. I would say. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty fascinating. And honestly, I, the next time we go back, I really do want to see if they'll let us in there for like five, six hours before the nighttime investigation. Cause I would love to just film the entire structure and then also do just tons of still shots. It is massive and it is truly a uh it's a wonder of of architecture it's beautiful yeah, the stuff you hear too <laughs> <laughs> right oh yeah 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 whistles and stuff mm. Mm, yeah um but i you know when this episode drops there's going to be several pictures of the the building itself uh posted but i can tell you right now folks no matter how many pictures you look at you cannot wrap your head around how big this place is because it seems almost bigger on the inside. That's what, like, the physics of that really messed with my head. I felt like I was in House of Leaves. How is <laughs> the inside bigger than the outside? That's huge, for sure. The scale of it. Mm-hmm. All right, so after we did the walk around uh, our guide, he took us into the, was, wasn't that, like, the main reception area? It was, yeah, there was, like, the two we went big up the double doors into, like, the little, where they had, like, the display cases of different, you know, artifacts and tools and apothecary-type bottles and stuff. Oh, right, yeah, that's mm-hmm. when we first got there. We right. we actually entered through the, the side entrance mm-hmm. um, so that we could drop our stuff off in the break room and all that. But after we did the walk around, uh, that room that he took us into, wasn't that the, like, the main reception area? I think, yeah, like, right into the big, like... The big open yeah. entrance yeah. Through, through, through the big doors. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, our guide took us pretty much on a loop of the entire uh, first floor, which also kind of turns into a basement at one point because of the way that the uh, the structure is built. That took us to where? Where do we go from there? I think we went up. We, yeah, we went around, I think, on the ground floor. And then I think we went back up to that like uh, the display case room and then like where the break room was. And then and he the gave us the shop. lowdown. Yeah, then we hit the gift yeah. shop. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So from there, we set up everything in the break room and uh, we'll, we'll actually talk about the investigation itself. But just to get the lay of the land, that first floor where the reception area is and the break room and all of that, from there, it loops around into that ballroom area mm-hmm. and then it, shoots into essentially the first floor. Now, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I want to say that uh, as soon as you walk through those double doors, that massive room, wasn't that the dining hall? Or it might have been one of them. 
possibly. Um, or did we even make it to the? I don't know if we I think ever the dining made it hall to... was actually like right outside the break room, and it was kind of blocked up. Like they had like barriers. Yeah, they had those. Big, oh, yeah. that's right. The entire Before left you side. Had, like, the double yeah, doors. there was no access to that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. All right. So the first floor is mainly just rooms, right? There's there's nothing really on it. Yeah, the first floor is because you know we we you you get physically locked in. Like we have a guide that could help us, you know, leave if we if we needed to. But you right. are like locked into that place, and there's no windows. So that one is probably the most like foreboding looking i mm. would say because there's like no light there's you know mm-hmm. just like little exit door lights and you walk down i think the the morgue is on the first floor morgue is a uh, basement sub-level. level okay yeah sub level so yeah we were essentially when we were in the break room we were essentially right on top of the morgue or pretty mm-hmm. pretty close pretty to close. it yeah but wasn't the break room on the second it was yeah it's kind it was of like the first floor ish because it's like the floor with the uh, with the um, display case, break room, all of that, and then there's like the where that morgue was and everything. But then there's even like the where it goes down towards like the uh, the death tunnel, and then like on the other side too. I think it goes a little bit lower. And folks, if you think you're confused yeah. now, you have no idea. Like we're confused. <laughs> it is labyrinthine. That's why it's easier to go up to the top and come down. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Alejandro brought it up. The death tunnel. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. So the death tunnel is uh I don't want to say like 200 300 feet maybe. I think it is about the size of a football field. Yeah. And it is leads it down big? the hill. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the way that this thing is set up is uh it's built at an angle and it has a a door and a pulley system in it that would take supplies up to the second floor uh this is where people would drop off food, things like that. And the idea was to give as much distance between uh, the people delivering stuff and the patients as to not uh, cross-contaminate things. But over the course of the years, it kind of got a name Death Tunnel for another reason. Eventually, the amount of bodies, supposedly, like, they never actually verified this in, uh, in any of the documents that we can find. But supposedly, the Death Tunnel was used to wheel out uh, recently deceased tuberculosis patient, patients mainly to keep the morale up for the rest of the patients that were there. So they didn't, if they saw less bodies going out, then they would keep a happier state of mind. And hopefully that would also help them heal a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't, I can't imagine that they wouldn't use that avenue to, to take the bodies out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no real other like, yeah spot that we saw to do it is to, right. the, the only thing i would say is that um depend i i feel like it would be the bodies that were leaving to be buried elsewhere right. because a lot of them mm. were buried like on property right i you know what i'm not sure i don't think we've ever looked into that you know what we're gonna might not make as much sense for the tuberculosis but at least for some of the mentally unstable people and like going into the mm. the future of it but See, what we need to do next time is get, like, a little roller cart and then just zoom down the side there. <laughs> that would be terrifying. It ends in <laughs> Straight into deep tunnel. darkness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, the structure of it is pretty wild. It's a long walk at, like, a pretty steep angle. I mean, if you wanted to 
calculate the hypotenuse of the slope or something like that could probably get a good angle on it but yeah well i'm I, again i will definitely be posting pictures of that for visual aid for all of you mm. listening but it is ultimately one of the creepiest places in the entire building obviously it really does make you feel like you're crawling down in the catacombs <laughs> it's probably like what like six by six or something like that tunnel it's not it's not big by any means i definitely wasn't uh, crouching at all, but That's it's not true. a big yeah. one. It's not a big yeah. space, and I think it's definitely probably one of the most ominous places mm. to go into because that's like us three. We we yeah. we walked in, mm-hmm. um, but I think being in there is like almost like sensory deprivation yeah. at Waverly Hills. It's like you're in the tunnel. There's no real sound. Yeah. Um, well, there is sound, but the way it moves and because of how steep and uh, dark it is, it is extremely disorienting as yeah. you're going down there. There's less pollution, I guess I would say. There's less sound pollution. And then like, it's, it's so like long and steep that you, you can't see more than 20 feet in front of you or back either as you're going down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, hell, as soon as we walked in there, I shot my laser mm. light down there, and it, like, it just kind of got swallowed by the darkness, and mm-hmm. that thing is high-powered, which, that's yeah. impressive. Um, so beyond the death tunnel, uh, so that would be, that would have been on the, the second floor. The entrance of the tunnel? Yeah. It goes No, in. no, it was, it was in the sub-level. The, yeah, it was yeah, in yeah. the sub-level, sub-level right. It's yeah. like morgue, and then... Mm-hmm. Which yeah. probably leads to well, yeah, a lot the, more of the beliefs of like that's where the bodies would go. Right. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. That's right, there. because the entrance on the was on level. the other side of the morgue. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, second and third floors and oh, – no, wait, second floor had some uh, – that's where they had the tubs and I think some of the sun lamps. But I think a lot of that stuff was closed off on this particular visit that we mm-hmm. went even though we did get access to some new areas, as I said, this place is constantly being renovated. So they actually have fake walls that they build to block off areas of the sanatorium that they're renovating to keep uh, mm-hmm. uh, any guests from wandering off and potentially hurting themselves, which I found to be um, very Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of makes me – next time I go there, I'm going to like – tug on the wing of every gargoyle and see what kind of magic doors open. <laughs> yeah, next time we got to film uh, people like running back and forth between the rooms to Benny Hill music. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's definitely going to happen. Those floors are pretty wild though. Cause when you start getting into it, like, yeah, the Gothic architecture on the outside is one thing. And then you walk in and it definitely was like a hospital, but it was that turn of the era of us like really building structures and like these grandiose uh mm-hmm. fashion you know it's like we're gonna build this massive thing with all these gargoyles and mm-hmm. all this stonework and all these engravings on the inside mm-hmm. it's it's similar you know it, it it definitely was uh less less decorative but definitely yeah. like a big Austere. gothic hospital would have been a crazy hospital to like be in oh yeah, yeah i i do wish i could have seen it uh in its heyday with my own eyes because over the years like the elements and vandalism really have gotten to the place it it got horribly trashed but in its uh in its original state it was like a gorgeous like gothic architecture and yeah you know, all the gargoyles and the the stonework especially the stuff up on a uh, top yeah yeah which, speaking of which, like the, the fifth floor, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, so we're going to jump up a few floors to, to five. That's where the nursery was, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, also, I believe some amount of staff quarters was there as well. 
uh, at least during the time of Waverly. I think when it became Woodhaven, the worst of the worst were locked up in those few cells that were up on top. Yeah, um, definitely the left side, I want to say, would have been staff, like on the left wing of the top. And then the right, right would have been nursery. Yeah, because that was the one where it had kind of like, it looked like it was almost like a, a building on top of the building. And then it walked out into the um, yeah the big patio. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, big, open air patio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great views. I mean, it was an awesome mm. place to be. Yeah. You could see why Jesus would want to sit up. There. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, would they have destroyed that? Oh, man. You got to think they would have destroyed a lot of stuff to even like support the weight of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, apparently they were planning on on building the Jesus statue with extremely light materials. But even then, it's sheer to. mass. Yeah, like if that thing by one fifty, yeah, if that thing fell over, it was going to be a bad day for everybody. You know, mm. high winds or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of uh, staff quarters, there's something that we haven't really talked about too much, and that's what life on Waverly Hills was like. And it's important to note here that the staff actually stayed on property. Like, once you were there, you were there. You did not go home very often. Um, I can't imagine how intense that would have been at the time. I mean, look, look at what we're going through with the pandemic right now. Uh, you working in that environment trying to heal these people, you were putting yourself just as much at risk to get tuberculosis uh, due to the fact that they didn't know how to solve it at that point. So that's that was a big one. But that's like when it was the tuberculosis sanatorium, they like people always stress that like it wasn't necessarily like a a negative place. Like, yeah, it was there was a ton of death and um, but that wasn't like the cause of like some of the negative energy there it was necessarily like the people there lived out there that they it felt like a little city, like they were on their own little slice of. Yeah. Yeah, they had their own newspaper yeah self-sustaining <laughs> yeah like a lot like we talk about supplies being wheeled up but it wasn't you know it was mostly like medical supplies and stuff like they were able to yeah. support themselves with food and and do lots of things you know but uh, that's a great point though because they, they 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 really did make the best out of the worst situation that they had lots of friendships were forward uh you know the kids had a lot of fun because the nurses kept them entertained um f- for all intents and purposes it was doing its best to, to give these people a little bit of life during a really dark time. Mm-hmm. Now, regarding some of the stuff that, that we see in Waverly Hills as far as ghosts and apparitions and things like that go, I think there's two levels of that. And I think the first level is some of the many souls that were lost in Waverly Hills during its time as a sanatorium still probably wander those halls. But those are the ones that are benevolent or just on a loop or something like that well there also you think about um like people like they, they like it was their home like yeah. waverly mm-hmm. was their home like if they would go back to anywhere they would go back to waverly yeah and you get some of that with um like the children wanting to play and like some mm-hmm. of the um staff activity that is not negative but yeah yeah See, that's that's why I say there's two sides of this, because I really do think that the vast majority of any negative energies in that place, that all came from its time being Woodhaven home for the geriatrics. Like that's and we're going to talk a little bit more about why I think that as this series progresses. But I can tell you that uh, I I mean, I, I hinted at it earlier, but when it was Woodhaven, man, that place was gnarly. It was it was it was bad. Yeah, didn't someone go in and like expose them? Like a local news went in and helped get it shut down. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be talking about that too. 
And that sets off a whole other string of uh, events that takes us all the way across America. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so staff life is, uh, you know, they made the best of it. The patients made the best of it. So Waverly Hills, yeah, not a depressing, sad place. Certainly a, a struggle for a lot of people, but they, they did their best. Yeah, it was a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what that place would have been like as a prison. It just yeah, kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. Yeah. They'd have had to really retrofit it for sure, too. Uh, at the at the time, um, during the it, you know when they tried to buy it, it wasn't quite so damaged. So really, probably the only thing they would have had to do is massive perimeter fences and then replace all the of windows, the doors. That's what I'm saying. It's into, more like the windows and the yeah. hallways and stuff like that. You know, just a lot of open areas. They probably would have. Enclosed. Speaking of those windows, apparently those suckers cost about $10,000 each to replace. Oh, my God. Somebody show me the math on that, because that that just don't make no sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's some... Is it Gorilla Glass or something? (laughs) Well, that's like people always ask the question of, like, are there more wheels or doors? (laughs) Right, yeah. And I say, go to Waverly, because there's so many doors. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Good one. Didn't, didn't see that many wheels. Yeah, that's very well, except for on the gurneys. Yeah. <laughs> and the pulley system. Anyway. And the, the, the body uh, cooler in the morgue. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rollers. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the morgue. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't they have like an x-ray room too, I think? Yeah. That, they, one, that room was creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was fourth floor, right? No, I think that was second. I thought it was higher than that. Maybe. I thought that was like the ne- some of the negativity from the fourth floor came from the x-ray room. Could possibly. It's not on the same floor with the morgue? No, I don't think no? so. No, that was, uh, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, that was a different, I think that might have been the um, hydrotherapy room. Yeah, you know what? I think that's what that was. Yeah. 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 I don't, but but see that just goes to show like this place is so massive. We spent almost eight hours in that place, and I still can't tell you the full lay of the land. Yeah, it is just that massive, folks. Like, yeah. doesn't matter what floor you're on, you can get lost on every single one of them, except for the fifth. Like, that's small. Mm-hmm. You can work around that. The rest of the place is like a freaking maze, mm-hmm. especially on those lower levels because you got all of these. Uh, Odd staircases that only go to like one spot, and yeah. You know. And also, there's only the one staircase to get to the fifth floor too. It's very closed off. Mm-hmm. I guess there was the elevator, but uh, that's out of commission. Even if they get that one renovated, I don't think I'll. Yeah, I don't think I'll be joining that. <laughs> anyway, I think that's pretty much it on this round, guys. I mean, just trying to hit the broad strokes of the history, uh, give the people out there an idea of what we were walking into, and. Uh, I kind of hint at some of the things you you can be expecting as the rest of the series progresses. I think I think one more thing too that I want to bring up the hallways too, like on on every floor with the shape of the building, the the bat wing shape. I mean, these are long stretches. I mean, like literally, you can see just to the one corner, and then there's another angle, and then the angle, and you can only see half. How far would you say that the the halls are on that. Oh God! It's a, it's it, they're very long hallways on each floor. Yeah, because it's just like one giant mm. hallway, but yeah. they're all yeah. like kind of sectioned off and winged yeah. out. 
But that, yeah, I think on like mm-hmm. in between the two angles, you have right. that one really long stretch. I don't oh, know, yeah. man. I'd probably yeah. say like a quarter of a mile. Yeah, it, like wing to wing. When you think about it, yeah, oh, could be, yeah, yeah. Man, we walked a lot of miles that mm-hmm. night. A lot of steps, <laughs> a lot of stairs up and down the stairs was super yep. fun. Uh, either of you gentlemen have uh, anything else you want to throw in before we wrap this up? I just can't wait to talk about the the ghost stuff. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yep. So uh, on the next episode, uh, you can join newest XV Planus uh, research team member Jamie Patterson to come on and talk about the ghosts. We did some digging on that, and we tried to put some names with some apparitions, and you'll be surprised what we come to find out. Either of y'all have anything coming down the pipeline you want to share? No. Uh, how's the website coming? It's it's coming along. It's pretty close. Uh, finishing touches and adding some stuff and other aspects of life getting in the way, but uh, it'll you'll, you'll you guys will be the first to know mm. when it's all ready. And Very that's well, <laughs> gonna be leftover Stardust, the shop that's an Instagram page. That's the Etsy Etsy shop that is up. The Etsy shop is up. And that's uh, we are leftovers. Or it's leftover Stardust Shop on Etsy. Okay, and we have a, a good handful of uh, custom-made uh, divination spreads. If uh, if you guys want to read, and that's myself and my wife Candice. Uh, every reading is done as a duo, so you're getting two interpretations as part of one. I don't think you find that too many places yeah. other than that. So very good nice stuff. So if uh, anyone wants to check it out, uh, please. Be your first customer. I think. Uh, well, we have we have, we have we have a friend that we did a, a pretty pretty great reading for. But uh, if anybody's out there that wants a divination reading from two uh, particularly experienced uh, divination consultants, then, right. uh, check that out. Leftover right Stardust there. Shop. All right, I'll have the link That's in the uh, show notes for that. Yeah, I was just gonna say keep your eye out for some cool stuff because this is gonna be the start of a lot of content and activities for the for the show very much so and i'm really excited about the second part of that the activities we got some tricks up our sleeves uh we'll we'll explain a little bit more once we get closer to solidifying uh the idea but um just expect a very very active spooky season from us well guys thank you again as always for joining me i can't wait to get back to uh round two uh hopefully you both will be here for that whenever we uh talk to jamie plan on it all yeah. right right on well take care now yeah bye bye then to you all. <laughs>
Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere is XVPlanis, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and review us, and tell your friends about us, tell your families about us, hell, yell at random people at the bus stop about us. You can also support us by going to www.patreon.com slash xvplanis and subscribing to gain access to our exclusive content. xvplanis is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you just listened to, go to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. This show is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without explicit consent. Copyright Folds and Floods production. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. I'll see you in the between. In Abumbratio. In Fluctus. Subvelo. Ghosts, aliens, monsters, the occult, conspiracies. Some of you like to be scared, and unearthing paranormalcy is for you. Some of you try everything you can to avoid it. Unearthing paranormalcy is for you. We take the topics that scare some, and we dig in to find the source, then present the history to make the paranormal a little more normal. We also throw in a bit of comedy to shed a light on some of the darkness in the world. So whether you're scared of bumps in the night, what's inside your own mind, or strange lights in the sky, we cover it all. We dig in and present all that we find and try to come up with some logical and not so logical reasons for the high strangeness happenings. Sometimes we are scared of the things we don't understand. And the more we understand, the less we fear. So find us, Unearthing Paranormalcy, on your favorite podcast app. And join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. And until next time, keep digging.